Welcome to Gifts of the Weird, and I'm back after a bit of a hiatus. At this recording, it is just after Dieselblow, where we honor and recognize our female ancestors. So it's really appropriate to have with me my good friend Nancy Hendrickson. Nancy is the author of The Ancestral Tarot, which will be released in March 2021. She is also a contributor to the Cartomancer magazine and hosts Instagram live feeds on her Instagram account at Nancy Shadow. Nancy, welcome to the podcast. Hey, John. It's so great to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've chatted and you've um, encouraged me on my podcast journey ever since I started it. So you've kind of been a little uh, shadow over it for a while. So <laughs> I thought you were maybe going to say a little nag over it. No, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> okay. Definitely not. So it's great to finally uh, to be able to have you on the podcast since you're kind of like the godmother of it, I suppose you could call it. Thank you. I've really been looking forward to this. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Well, I mean, we have lots of conversations anyway, so this is just going to be another, uh, hopefully an extension of what we have either in the backyard in the last few months of COVID pandemic-y stuff uh, with distanced socializing or in our living room around the dinner table or wherever we happen to be hanging out having these types of conversations over the years that we've known each other. So this is going to be fun because... You have written a really wonderful book, a book that seems to be hitting into um, an area that hasn't been touched very often um, or at all in working with ancestors and connecting that to our divination aspects, specifically tarot, which is what your strength is. You know, John, I actually don't think that area has been written about before. And it was a really natural progression for me because I've been working with ancestors and the family since I was literally eight years old, and I've been doing tarot for over 40 years. So they were a really natural mashup for me. And when I put the idea out to a publishing house, they really immediately said, yeah, this is interesting. We want to see more. Yeah, I remember us workshopping this kind of stuff. Well, we call it workshopping, but um, just chatting about this kind of stuff and really wanting to encourage you to pursue this because, man, um, like you said, there's nothing out there about this specifically type of stuff. So, uh, Nancy, briefly describe your journey to tarot and divination and also working with the ancestors. You said from eight years old. Uh, how did that happen? How did that, how did that interest get sparked rather than spooked? Yeah, yeah, thanks. You know, John, um, both my grandmothers were great storytellers, and their stories were almost always about the family. And they were not made-up stories. They were real stories. So one grandmother told me about her great-grandparents in a covered wagon. Another grandmother told me about her great-grandfather in the Civil War. So I grew up hearing family stories all the time. I I mean, all the time. And we would go to family reunions when I was a really little kid. And, you know, it's all the people who are, who've gone to spirit now, but I always tried to pay attention to the stories because that's what made the people real to me. And just because of how the grandmothers were, I realized when I was writing this book that the people who came before me are just as real to me as you are. They are real people here in my life, and I have conversations with them, and I get information from them. So, um, yeah, 
they're here they're here all the time yeah um so that's really interesting so you know in so as you know uh in our uh, i'm a norse pagan practitioner and my podcast generally kind of caters to that demographic of folks and um, we are very much involved with honoring our ancestors as are people of a celtic practitioner druids and it seems like just about any pagan um, religion or spiritual practices recognizing and honoring and trying to connect to ancestors I know that the answer varies depending on people so uh, and I know that there's probably not one fixed answer for everybody but kind of Basically, what are some thoughts as to why that might be? Why are we so interested in connecting with our ancestors in our spiritual practice? Well, you know, for me, the more I learned about my own family's history, I realized it really wasn't this quest to learn everybody's name and their dates. What happened in the end is I actually learned who I was just by learning who they were. So at the end of this long journey, you end up with such a sense of self. And again, this is me personally, and it's going to change for everyone. When days are hard and I think, oh, God, I'm not sure I can do this. You know, I think about my ancestors and the things they went through, the hardships. And I, I love saying this because it's true. They were warriors and they were survivors. And I think that gives me an incredible sense of strength on those hard days that I can go forward. Uh, so that's that's why I do it. Mm-hmm. That's really great. I mean, I, I I haven't done a lot of ancestor work, a uh, little bit here and there, and I haven't really delved into probably as much as you have with uh, really connecting to a lot of them. So it's really fascinating and interesting to me. Uh, and you have given me a, a copy of the book, and I have a preview copy, and I pre-ordered mine as well. And I really love the feel of it. I mean, Wiser Books, who produced this, really did a good job with the size of the book, the paper quality, the print size, because it's readable to my older eyes <laughs> yeah. and everything. So it's, it's a really nice, really nice book here. So I'm looking forward to um, starting my own journey and really kind of tackling it from a, uh, a whole different perspective than I have in the past. You know, John, your spiritual background really gives you, it puts you in a place of wanting to honor ancestors. And not just people who were your blood, but people who inspired your own spirituality. Um, And I'm talking people from 2,000 years ago that may have no connection to you through DNA. But one thing that does bother me is I see in kind of Western, a Western civilization, this whole concept of the ancestors and honoring the ancestors has really gotten lost. We, we, we Westerners have lost a sense of ritual and of our, our past, of our families. And to me, that makes us lesser um, because we have lost that. And I don't know how you feel about it within your own practice. Uh, and I'd actually like to know, is, do you see this? I, I do. I think I do. I think that in modern contemporary uh, societies, it seems to me like we've become very focused on the here and now and not so much on remembering what's come before us or supporting uh, or rec- and recognizing what's gone before us. Uh, it seems like the, the societal, cultural memory 
kind of stops at maybe our parents' generation, maybe grandparents. But before that, I mean, it just seems a little bit like because of the conveniences that we have, I mean, we can get food at any time of the day or night, anytime. In most places, of course, you go into a city and there's fast food places all night long that are open, right? True. Convenience stores or whatever. Um, we don't have to toil as hard in the fields for our food because we have grocery stores. We're not seasonally affected by food because of grocery stores. We can get it from, we get produce from all over the world at any time of the year rather than whatever, whatever happens to be in season at the time. Right, we do. So I think we've kind of lost, there's kind of a loss of that connection, even amongst the agricultural folks, you know, the people, uh, and I'm focusing on most of our Western civilization, not so much on areas where it's not quite so Western, but, you know, in, in America, even in our rural communities, there's grocery stores that you can get food in and out of season. So, yeah, I think, I think it's, um, there's a little bit of a disconnect. It doesn't mean that we don't intentionally diss our, diss our ancestors, but I think we've just kind of, a lot of folks have kind of grown up not remembering those stories. And I think a big part of it is the, oh, I forgot the word, the fact that we travel around so much. We don't, I mean. Oh, yeah, we're a very mobile society. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean I, I live in California. I don't live where I grew up. I miss it. I love it. I feel very connected to there. I cried the last time I left there because oh, I wow. it might be the last time I would be there. But I live in California, a very transitory area. A lot of people come and go. And um, yeah, I think there's a lot of times where I think that we don't have that connection to our, our um, one of like um, one of your, your three types of ancestors is an ancestor of place. And that's really true. And you know, John, also, we're going, going back, oh gosh, even to the turn of the 20th century. It, you know, it was really, number one, I, I have family who were farmers and still do. And it was really common 150 years ago to have a family plot on the family farm. So the people who passed over were buried right there on the farm. So you were always very close to them. And we we don't have that. We have this real separation from when somebody goes that we may go to a funeral in the cemetery and then maybe never again. And you know what I've noticed? I I love old cemeteries. And when I go on trips, I always hunt down old cemeteries because the symbolism on old tombstones tells you a lot about the person. There's, there's, actually, there's actually whole books written on uh, tombstone symbolism. And... Um, so you can tell if there's a, a lamb on top of a tombstone, it's the grave of a child. You, you can tell something about the person by if there's a weeping willow tree or a finger pointing to heaven. But um, what I've noticed here in, in where we live in California, the huge cemeteries, and I've noticed that kind of the, the I'm going to just say white Christian and hope I don't you know offend anybody, those sections are pretty sterile. And then I'll walk over to the Hispanic section or the Asian section. And there's so, so much more, there's so much more closeness because you'll, you'll find cans of soft drink and incense and big paper Mexican flowers. And you find so much more in those sections of the cemetery 
And even in the Jewish section, you will find beautiful inscriptions of like a dancer or something that tells you about the person. And ours, quote ours, are pretty bland. And we don't we don't know much about that person. Um, and just to finish that thought, um, not probably within the last month, I went to the National Cemetery here where both my parents are buried. And, and I was looking out o- over the huge field of stones, thousands, and I might have seen a half a dozen flowers. So I think that once somebody's dead and gone, they get quickly forgotten in our culture. And to me, that's a huge loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> so you've written this book for us to f- have a way to try to get in touch with some of those ancestors, either ones that we knew <laughs> who have passed or even further back. And I'm really interested in how how to develop this and how to work with it. So, and I think a lot of people are probably hungering for this to be able to do this. So I think your book is really appropriate and and a wonderful and coming at a wonderful time, especially after the last year of COVID, where there's been a lot of reflection, I think, or a lot of ability to reflect because, you know, we haven't been able to go out and lead uh, crazy, busy, busy, busy all the time lives where we're always out doing something. I think there's probably been a lot of introspection. Do you think that that in the last year that might have been maybe people are being a little more receptive to ancestors kind of knocking on our doors? I, I think so. Well, I think part of it is the almost half a million people who have who have died from COVID. So it's very hard to turn on the television and news without seeing a little stat counter on the side telling us you know, how many people got sick that day or how many people died. So yeah, it's right up in the front of our consciousness. But, you know, because we can't run around, I think we have been more reflective. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's really natural. And a lot of us, me included, have spent far more time by ourselves than ever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you know, I'm pretty hermity. But even this has pushed my hermity way past my comfort zone, um, <laughs> way past. But in terms of tarot, you know, John, um, you can connect with ancestors so many different ways, you know, through meditation, through working with a medium. But because tarot is really my go-to for almost anything, for me, it was the easiest way because tarot has three really specific groupings, which are kind of the cards that have to do with everyday stuff, the cards that have to do with archetypal energies, and the cards that are called the court cards, and they are the people cards. And I find if you work with a a basic family tree, and by that I mean your mom, your dad, their parents, their parents, their parents, and draw the, the people cards, the court cards for this long line of people, it gives you an incredible sense of who they were and once you've done that, even back even a couple generations, you start seeing family patterns and it helps you understand why why a family dynamic might have gone in one direction and why at the end of the line, somebody today is saying, wow, this is a pattern I don't want to continue. Mm-hmm. And their cards kind of show that. So, so tarot gives you this whole... Um, diverse way of looking at the ancestors. And in the book, I had a lot of fun just 
experimenting with one of my grandfathers. I didn't know either of my grandfathers. And I learned so much about him. And it was interesting that the cards that came up about him in his life really confirmed the stories that I had heard about him as I was growing up. So I know it's very accurate. Uh, and people can, um, even if people don't really know tarot, there's there's a section in the book that, that gives you a lot of interpret how to interpret different cards. So even if you don't know tarot, you can still use the book and do the exercises. I'm really glad you said that because <laughs> As you know, I am not the most well-versed in tarot, even though for the last five years or so, I live with um, a tarot person, my husband, who's been doing tarot for over 35 years and who is one of your very, very good friends. And I've known you for all of this time, uh, but yet I haven't taken the plunge into fully committing to doing all of the, the, the learning of the tarot. As my listeners know, I work with runes. And I am looking at adding runes onto this as a um, as a as an additional um, layer of things, but not replacing tarot because I don't think the rune just using runes through this book will work. I think well, that- what might work actually, if you did a court card for a person, there's no reason that you could not pull a rune asking the question. Tell me about the theme of your life. So I know you know enough tarot to know that if you pull the the king of swords, you know, the swords are the thought our thoughts. And so he is he's the most mature thinker of all the sword of all the swords. So what if you do not see you have made a disadvantage because I don't know the runes, but would it work then for you to draw a rune and say, okay, you're you're this very thoughtful person? What was the theme of your life? What was the path you walked? Would that work with runes? I think it would. I think it could add a, a great layer. I, I was going through my head. So let, let's do a little, we'll have a little fun here. Um, do it. So you think of a, so let's use the King of Swords, for instance, because okay. is that that's who you use. And now you are familiar enough to pull a rune. So think about, let's just ask one of the, whoever is connected with a king of swords or an ancestor to give you the thought of a rune that you know of. What What is that rune? And I can tell you what it is. And you can see, or, or maybe you could ask an ancestor that you know of, and maybe you could pick one of the other court cards and we can, we can do a little experiment that way. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, um, I'm going to see my dad's mom. So my, my paternal grandmother. Mm-hmm. Okay, I just drew a card for her recently. Uh, well, you know what? She she actually was the king of swords. Um, she 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 was the smart one in the family. So we're going to deal with her, and I'm gonna I'm just gonna pull up here on my on my phone the room that I could picture in my head was Ansu's. Okay, so Ansu's is the rune of communication. It's about being a communicator. It's a lot of times it's a uh, it's attributed to. Um, divine divineness or the god odin in a lot of ways so um does that seem to work with her that she maybe was a very vocal or communicative person she was uh in her youth a school teacher and in her the years that you know i knew her as an older person um she was uh she loved to play games but she would she had all the strategy worked out in her head so she she tried to communicate to us how to be strategic thinkers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, think, so it will work. <laughs> so it, it would work. If you were doing tarot, 
for a life theme or life path, you would draw a major arcana, one of the 22 archetypes, which cover things like life, death, birth, the hermit, the teacher, the creator. Um, if you wanted to know kind of something about their everyday life, that's when you would use the minor cards, which are really kind of, they really are everyday things. They're, you know, help you with work. They help you with your spirituality, your love life. So the three sections of tarot work very well, but I see no reason that runes would not work just as well. Yeah, as, as like adding other layers to that, I think would be really great. I started the book uh, <laughs> and I use runes for my journey spread, which is your first exercise. Right. Uh, what I like about your book is that looking through it, I haven't read it all from cover to cover and I'm working on that. But um, I like that you give exercises and I like that you provide ways that people can actually do things. So it's not just an intake. I'm just taking in, I'm reading all the information you actually have a way to deploy the information or to put it into practical use. So that's a really great part of this book. Uh, a part of Ancestral Tarot is that you provide ways to put it into use so that we can actually kind of go through it at the same time. Uh, Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. but, you know, I am really practical. So you <laughs> know, I, want, I, I want exercises that help me understand uh, and that's why you'll find that. You'll also find a lot of journal prompts uh, for the people who do like to journal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great that's a great thing as well. So uh, one thing about ancestors, a lot of times people just think, oh, my ancestors are my ancestors of blood, uh, my direct DNA, my lineage, that aspect of things. But you talk about ancestors of um, place and of time. What does that mean, place and time? I mean, well, for me, ancestors of place, and this is, I think, where ancestral work can um, it get, it can get confusing because we can tap in with ancestors who we actually carry their DNA, but we can also tap into ancestors who might have lived somewhere 500, 800, a thousand years ago in a country of our genetic origin. Mm -hmm. So, like for you, I, for you, I know that you have a, a a connection to Ireland. You have a connection, obviously, to the Netherlands. So you could be working with an ancestor who lived in one of those places a very long time ago. And one thing I really like to do is because I because of my work, I've taken five or six different DNA tests. <laughs> and I know that the bulk of my DNA is Irish and uh, Scandinavian. So I don't know any ancestor from Ireland or from any of the Scandinavian countries. So at that point, that's when I will pull out tarot and I'll pull out a pendulum and start trying to track down by the, by using the pendulum, which century did this person live in? So the pendulum can say yes or no. And that does help me narrow down where I want to try and tap in with an ancestor. So I do bring pendulum work into the book as well. Mm -hmm. So Nancy, one thing that I think I, I've heard a lot of questions about when we're dealing with ancestors and ancestry, uh, especially particularly DNA ancestry or uh, heritage ancestry, a lot of people say, well, I was adopted. How do you think people can cross that mind block or that 
that what either they perceive as a barrier or may or, or is it a barrier that if a person is ancestor they uh, or uh, is adopted or maybe doesn't know at some point or maybe there is an adoption someplace way back when that we don't know about uh, how does that affect working with ancestors do you think? John that's a great question and there are a couple ways to approach it the easiest way is is for the person to say I don't know who my ancestors are and I will say that's okay because your ancestors know who you are. Mm-hmm. So, you say you know, that a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a trust. There is a trust there that who you tap in with using tarot or runes or pendulum. There's a trust factor that that you do. That person is your ancestor. The second one is through DNA. Uh, I've I've worked with three different people uh, over the past few years to use DNA at. Uh, Ancestry.com because it has a huge DNA database to find people they're related to and we actually did find the parentage. So you know I always tell people don't don't give up on that because my mother did not find her real father until she was 90 years old and it was through DNA that we could track down who this person was. So you know don't give up hope. There's every day more people you know, do DNA tests. So um, I, I think being adopted is harder because you don't, you didn't grow up hearing those family stories. And, and so I do think it's harder. But once you can hone into a specific locale in a specific time, and that's a combination of tarot and pendulums, I think you're going to do okay. And because that also sends you off on a research trip, you know, to Wikipedia or wherever to learn what was happening in this place at this period of time. So you have a sense of who those people were. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things, I either read it or you, in our conversations over the last year uh, about the book or both, <laughs> you've often said, or, or I think I read that you said that, or maybe you just said it a little while ago and uh, I've already um, passed on because uh, this is so interesting to me that Oh, you did say it a while ago that our ancestors know us. So it may not matter if we were adopted because, well, I think even when we are adopted into a family, the ancestors of that family would accept you as their person, right? Absolutely. So in in that sense, uh, whoever that adopted person is kind of lucky in a way because now they have two ancestral lines to connect to, right? Uh, or four or or more, because now they have their DNA ancestral line, which those people will kind of come through and reveal themselves to them. But they also have this other fam- familial one the, the, of the adopted family that they have been brought into and connected to and made a part of. And that's absolutely true. Plus, you know, John, if you if you do genealogy and do try and track down your family, I guarantee you somewhere along the line, a name got put on a birth certificate that was not true. Mm-hmm. It is just part of life and how it was in certain periods of time. Um, that's why I actually do like DNA because the people that show up that you're connected to, you you actually really are connected. Yeah. And, and you know, John, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of controversy within the DNA community, within the genealogy community itself, about you know having your DNA data in a database somewhere online. Um, you know, not everybody agrees to that or agrees with it or think it's a good thing. Um, and that's really a personal choice people have to make. Mm-hmm. Indeed. 
Um, I was interested in one of the aspects of going through your book where you talked about physical elements of anth. Oh, I'm saying physical elements of ancestor manifestation. I don't know if that's actually in the book, but that was on scribbled on my pad here. <laughs> so you were talking about the elements of smell, um, uh, events, yeah. visual cues. Um, right. And I know that in the last year and a year and a half, there has been a couple of different smells that have come to me. And it's usually later at night and uh, it stays for a while. And I've you know, I've tried to ask, hey, who is this? Because I figure it doesn't happen 24 hours a day. It usually happens at a specific time of the day. And so I always kind of figure that's an ancestor trying to get a hold of me. But I've never been able to really um, figure out how to narrow that down. And, you know, I ask, I've said, hey, give me a sign or, or um, and maybe I'm just not investing enough time or asking enough questions. Can you talk about that type of manifestation and how someone can maybe try like me can try to maybe work down to narrow down who it is. Sure. And, and I will say that when that happens, sometimes you, you just know, because you know, oh, that, that was so-and-so's perfume. So, I mean, sometimes people just know who it was, but in the, the instance that you're talking about, honestly, John, I would get out my tarot cards and my pendulum and that's where I would start. Okay. Um, you know, I'm also in going back to the pendulum thing, and I I do talk about this in the book a little, although it, there's not a huge pendulum section. I I really like using a pendulum over a map to see if the pendulum is pulled towards a certain place, and it's not even a paper map. You know, I'll pull up a map on Google Maps or Google Earth on the iPad and do the pendulum over that. I've seen you do that. Yeah. Yeah, I know you have. And um, once I had a place, then I would start working my way back through um, through centuries. But, you know, John, because you're having this, my sense is that it is someone not from 300 years ago, but somebody from the last century. I, I think it's much closer to you than way far back. Mm -hmm. I just think that this is just my personal opinion. I think that those things happen when we were, when we actually knew the person, mm -hmm. you know, okay. and, and I can equate it to my, my mom, uh, after her mom passed over, she could smell her perfume after her brother passed over, she could smell his aftershave. So just based on that, I kind of think it's somebody that you actually knew in, in life. Okay. But, but I also think there are times um, that and I'll give you one Quick example, someone I know really battles with alcoholism. And she called me one night totally freaked out because her television was turning off and on and off and on. <laughs> and I said, you know, I think somebody's trying to give you a message here. And once, you know, it's like, I'm going to, if, if, if helping you with alcoholism means scaring you, I'm going to scare you. I think sometimes you get those kind of messages too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, spirit's pretty darn good with electricity. Has uh, just been my own experience. Or with manifesting. I, I did not talk about this in the book, but I, I would like to say it just because I, I, I think people will experience these things and kind of shrug them off when we need to pay attention to them. As you know, 
my friend Eva died a few years ago, and we were really, really close. And about a week after she passed, I walked into the kitchen, and in the middle of my kitchen floor was a scrap piece of paper, and handwritten on it was the word Eva. Now, it wasn't my handwriting. It was in red ink. Wow. I think it was just Eva saying, I'm here, I'm okay. But And I think we get those messages. That one was pretty obvious. But I think we actually do get those messages. We just don't pay enough attention to realize we're getting those messages. But see, you're tuned in enough that you're picking up that smell. Uh, I would work with tarot, the runes, or pendulum to try and track down who you knew that's now in spirit. And you might get a really simple answer with a pendulum with a yes-no. That's good. Do you suggest when someone or me, but I'm also extending it to other people because there's probably others that are experiencing this type of thing. Uh, should they do this type of narrowing down work when they start smelling or experiencing that that experience? Uh, is that a stronger time to say, hey, I smell this this thing. I oh, okay, that's this is when it usually comes. Is that the time you think the best to break out the cards or the pendulum? Or I think so. Okay. Yeah, I do. <laughs> so next time that happens to you, dig out that pendulum that I think I've seen at your house. I have a really cool pyrite pendulum. That's it's right. Very awesome. It's the first pendulum that has ever moved for me and connected with me. So I snacked it up right away. <laughs> I will tell you though, John, um, the more you use a pendulum, the more responsive it is to you. So I actually have one in my hand at the moment sitting at my desk. And it's always on my desk and I'll pick it up often during the day and just ask questions. Just it's like my way of practicing. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, that's really cool. So one of the thing uh, chapters that you talk about is uh, tools of the journey. And you go in and you describe a lot of different types of tarot cards that there are. How does how do you think that might affect the way that a person can work with um ancestors and tarot or how might that be a better way to connect with their ancestors do you think well you know there are some we're talking about all the different types of tarot decks mm -hmm. yeah um i actually wrote something on my website about all the decks that i could find that weren't a basic writer weight smith deck which is kind of the and that's kind of the gold standard of tarot yeah and most decks are a clone of it but there are decks that, let's say, okay, I'll give you a good example. Let's say I was uh, African-American. I would choose an, an, a deck with African-Americans, and I adjust, I think I had just shown you and your husband uh, the Hoodoo Tarot. Mm -hmm. It's totally uh, an African-American culture. And because it's set in kind of the Midwest South, there are actually scenes I recognize from my childhood in those areas. So I would look for a deck that had some at least hint of ethnicity from whichever family line I wanted to work with. And, you know, like Druidcraft and Wildwood are both Druidic slash pagan decks. And um, if that were my bent and that's where my my interests and my genetics lay, those are the decks I would use. Mm -hmm. uh, it is harder to find uh, more, it's harder to find Asian decks that are done by an Asian artist. They're more typically done by uh, an Anglo artist, which is 
you know, the world is changing and we are beginning to see decks done by people who actually have that ethnicity, which I, I appreciate. Um, so that's what I would do. And I do think it matters because I have that, the UK heritage. I love the Druid craft. I, I so relate to it, even though there are places pictured that I've never been to, it feels like home. And maybe it's just the symbolism or a place that I knew in another life or my ancestors knew. I don't know. But yeah, I think it's important. I think it does make a difference. Oh, great. Yeah, that, that kind of helps, like you said, to connect to that ancestral and heritage aspect of things to help bring those ancestors through. That's great. Or perhaps if you're wanting to connect with an ancestor of place, you would pick a, a tarot deck that would reflect that place. Well, and there's also a, a New Orleans deck, a, a voodoo deck. Uh, the Philadelphia tarot. <laughs> the Philadelphia tarot. I actually have an all majors deck that are, it's Portland, Oregon. It's just, I, you know what? I bought it as a Kickstarter years ago and I have never, ever unwrapped. So I don't know why I bought it and someday I'll sell it. But as you know, more and more people are doing decks specific to places Mm-hmm. Or cultures. I know that you have decks that are very either Viking or pagan or Nordic or Germanic. I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah, they, they do connect and draw. They're very interesting. And I do have the Druidic and the Wildwood, and both are gorgeous decks, and they, they connect on a different level as well to me. And Druidcraft is absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, well, let me just say this too. There are there are Native American decks. There are kind of Arthurian England tarot. I mean, you really can find a deck, and there are more modern decks coming out. Um, the Ghetto Tarot, and it's taking a, t- a traditional tarot image and translating it into more of a ghetto setting. I hate using that word, but that's the word they used. Um, also, the Santa Muerta for the for people with Hispanic heritage. Yeah, I have that deck, and I use that deck because I happen to like the imagery. So, um, yeah, lots of lots of great decks. There are, and just go on Kickstarter. You can find all kinds of beautiful and wonderful creativity doing a lot of stuff on Kickstarter. Some great independent publishers doing some amazing work. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that you really, uh, that, well, you start off with this in the Ancestral Tarot. <laughs> uh, all of this does relate to the book and to the work that you've done, and it's wonderful. But you talk about working with a guide. Why do you think it's important to have a guide and how basically, I mean, of course, we want people to get the book so that they can work through that process. But as far as why is it important to have a guide and how would you... Do you, I mean, do you pick the guide? Do you just kind of say, hey, I'm open. Who wants, uh, do you audition guides? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not trying to trivialize it, but, I'm, you know. Question. I don't think you need a guide. It's just that when I wrote the book, I, I asked, I knew I was going to write it. And I asked for a family guide, fully expecting, and I did this in meditation, by the way, I really expected my mother to show up and a woman showed up and it's like, who are you? And as it turns out, it was my great grandmother who passed over years before I was ever born. So 
I asked for who could help me um, navigate my way through the ins and outs of working with so many different types of ancestors. So that was part of it for me. Another part of it, and this kind of doesn't answer your question, but (laughs) that's okay. I created a sigil with my parents' initials, and I took it to the cemetery where they're both buried, and I left it on the tombstone. And it was kind of my way of saying, I really honor who you were and the life you gave me, and I'm writing this book, and I would really love for you both to be with me on this journey. So, no, you don't need to do that. Did it feel right for me? Yes. Okay. That's good to know. I do have a couple more questions, and they are um, working into the work of the ancestral tarot. So this is really exciting to me. So one of the things that, uh, and this is going back to when we were talking about smells and, and signs and events and things like that. How does one know, how do uh, the euphemist you know when something is just is a really a sign or a communication from an ancestor and when it just happens to be a leaf laying on the ground. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. Um, I think it's like the pendulum. The more you do the work, the more obvious it is. But I am also a huge believer in asking for a specific sign. Um, Excellent. Which I did in for this book. But, you know, one... I'll just give you. I was kind of thinking about something I wanted to write, and and I said I want to see a lion, and I promise I won't go to the zoo. So that <laughs> that that was my my thing, my asking for. And the very next day, I was at my sister's, and I was we have a three year old in the family, and I was actually down on the floor playing with him, and he reached over and he picked up this thing and stuck it in my face, and it was a little toy lion. Mm-hmm. So it's like I got that message so quickly and so easily. But I I really encourage people to ask for a specific sign, and don't just say I want to see a penny because we pretty much always see pennies laying around. You know, I want to see a 50 cent piece or I want to see a silver dollar or I want to see a red balloon, or, you know, make it something specific. And if the ancestor wants to communicate with you, you'll see it or you'll hear it because you might say, I want to hear a bell ringing somewhere today. Mm-hmm. And you know what, John, sometimes the answer is no. Uh, I, I recently did ask for a bell and I, I did not hear one all week. So I knew the answer was, nope, we're not going to help you with this one. Uh, Timing. In one section, uh, uh, now this is a little bit later, uh, further on where I'm reading, but you do have a section about moon phases. Is there a particularly better time as far as a moon phase to work with ancestors, do you think, or perhaps even on the wheel of the year? And I know that, in, uh, of course, in uh, Germanic paganism, um, it's not necessarily the wheel of the year, but we do have festivals throughout. So let's just say the seasons of the year instead. Uh, Throughout the seasons of the year or the moon phases, is there maybe at times that are better to connect or try to do that ancestral work? You know, I I have worked with moon phases and what I started doing and this is for people who I knew when they were born or when they passed and there are a lot of websites that you can put in a date and find out what phase of the moon so for example 
let's say I found that somebody had passed during a waning moon in Scorpio, you know, or just a waning moon because waning moon in Scorpio, I could wait a long time. <laughs> but so during a waning moon phase, then, then I would try and connect with that person. And I like that because I think moon energy really opens us up to that other side of, I hate saying the veil, but I'll say it of the veil. So yeah, I do that with moon energies. And, you know, I'm very fond of the time around the Day of the Dead, even though I'm not Catholic, because of where I live, those celebrations, even though they're November 1-2, usually start early October. Mm -hmm. And I love that high energy. And I feel like with so many millions of people working with ancestral energy through October into early November, it's a really good time to do ancestral work. But in the spirituality that you practice, isn't November an important time? Yeah. So um, in Germanic and Norse paganism, it's it is really interesting. And now, uh, so it basically comes from a northern northern European area. So we have to also think about it in that context, even though um, it's all over the world now and people and and cultures all are participating in Germanic and Norse paganism all over the world. But from October till about uh, February is when we uh, really, uh, a lot of honoring and working with ancestors occurs. So it kind of starts in the October, November period where we rec- uh, we honor and venerate the Alfar, which is our male ancestors. During the midwinter time, the winter solstice time is the wild hunt where Odin or Ul and Hel, Frigga, conduct the wild hunt where they ride across the skies with the the dead and uh, the souls that are kind of lost and wandering. They kind of collect them up and and take them along with them. And then in February, uh, which is what we just passed, and I mentioned it earlier as the Dizablot, it's when we honor the Dizir, which is our female spirits and right. ancestors. It's really interesting that in this period, and I could only think that it's possibly because in the north where Germanic and Norse paganism derives from, where its its, its roots are, are, are coming from, is that was the, the darkest time of the year. It's the time probably where there's a lot of time for that reflection and introspection and the ability to honor the dead and the ancestors. And probably where with the less light, Helheim and the other aspects of things are able to be be a little freer and connect with people as we're a little bit more thoughtful and introspective in that period of time. Right. It is our natural time to go inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder, I wonder with uh, global cultures celebrating ancestors because it is darker and colder and, and a natural time to be reflective. I don't know how that translates to the Southern hemisphere though. Um, because they're not experiencing that. Um, so I wonder if it's different in some, uh, Southern Hemisphere countries. And mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Well, I have some friends in Australia, so I'm going to be asking them those oh, good. questions. Oh, good. And, I'll, right. and I'll pass the information on to you for your next book. <laughs> oh, thank you. One more thing that I that I'd like to ask because it's uh, we've this has been so much fun, Nancy. <laughs> it's great. It, it's great. You you t- we talked we we talked earlier about our ancestors will know us, so they'll come and visit us, or they'll they'll make themselves known. Uh, as a person is starting out, you know, a lot of times we want to be methodical, or depending on personality traits, they like to have dots to connect or or to pull them 
through things. Unlike this Aquarian me is like, oh, okay, I've got 15 things I'm juggling and uh, (laughs) I can do them all at once. Do you think it's important starting, and this is, let's tie this into ancestral tarot. As a person wants to start with ancestral tarot, should they do some research back, genealogical research back to a point and say, okay, how far back can I research and get names and dates and connections and relationships? Or should they focus on, oh, I want to try to reach a certain person because they have free will. They can say, no, I don't want to talk to you. You know, like say that someone wants to try to connect to a favorite grandparent or a favorite aunt or uncle or teacher. Do you recommend that kind of thing? Or do you kind of think, let them tell you? Great question, John. You know, as you were asking that question, it occurred to me that when you do this work, you begin to rely more and more and more on your intuition. So maybe you want to connect with your favorite grandmother and intuitively, you know, she's not ready to communicate with us here on earth. Um, so I think asking for a specific person can be disappointing. Uh, my dad has been dead for decades because he passed away at a very young age. I've never been able to connect with him ever. Mm-hmm. And so they do not come at our bidding. But, you know, I, you know, I'm always in favor of doing some genealogy research but I actually think it's easier to start with someone in spirit that you personally knew, get out the cards, work through some of the exercises, just to start building that skill set and that level of trust that what's coming up in the cards is accurate because you knew the person. So that would probably be my starting point, but I'd still try and do the research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, there are some exercises in there where you, you do have the family tree, the family connection thing. So uh, that's all a part of it. So that's good to know. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, this kind of relates to that. Now, um, when we're doing, we, we have this practice called SAIDS, which is a way to connect into the other world and maybe connect with dead, connect with the gods and goddesses. One of the practices is not to try to try to reach or reach out to a person who's recently passed, such as within the first year, because they're still they're still transitioning. Do you recommend something like that for someone who's like, oh, I really want to talk to my grandmother who just died or my mother who just passed away? Um, Is there anything like that that you kind of recommend? Maybe let them have some time to transition and you (laughs) as the person? I don't have that as a general rule only because I trust that if they're not ready, they're not going to appear. Mm -hmm, That's good. Having said that, because I was I was so close to my mom, I have felt her presence every day of my life since she passed. You know, but I also had a mother who was very connected to to spirituality and reincarnation. So that might have been a kind of a different situation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of hard to answer that question because I think I trust that the ancestor, if they're not ready to appear like my dad, they're not going to. That makes sense. Thank you. Well, in our in our tradition, or in a lot of parts of our Norse paganism, Germanic paganism, uh, of course, most of the we believe most of our dead end up in a place called Hell, Helheim, right. uh, ruled by the goddess Hell or Hella. And yeah, it. Um, one thing that I will just mention to folks is don't think you can just march right in there, throw open the gates, and walk in and say, "Hey, I want to talk to so and so." You will get a dressing down by Hell herself. <laughs> 
Um, so it's a respectful way to go into these uh, proceedings and these these journeyings. I think inviting them to join you at like a common ground. What do you think about that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I I do a, a, a specific meditation that in that meditation there is a kind of a neutral ground that I envision where I meet whatever ancestor wants to show up. Um, I don't go out looking for them or trying to pull them in. You know, I go there and wait for whomever shows up. I'm not sure that answers your question, but that's just my, that's my process. I think it does. I think that's a wonderful way to do it. You know, it's kind of how you envision, how you envision that space, you know, the space that I go to is a, a clearing in a forest and there's a campfire mm. and I just plop down and wait and see who comes. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, do you, do you um, think that it's in, uh, valuable to maybe try to bring like a little gift for them or make an offering such as say coffee or tobacco or a food that they like, or that that's something that happens a lot in a lot of pagan practices and and in a lot of like the day of the dead where they bring people bring food for their ancestors or leave food on their graves and things um right i i do believe that john excellent i I think it's i think it's honoring them i think you know i'm trying to get into my own practice of pouring a little bit of coffee in the mornings uh, for the ancestors. And I don't always remember, but it's it's a habit I'm trying to get into because it's not it's not that an ancestor is going to sit down and, you know, slurp down the coffee, but it is letting them know I'm consciously put doing this in what in order to honor them. It's the act and the intent. That's awesome. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Well, Nancy, thanks so much for spending time with me. Um, And is there anything else you'd like to say about Ancestral Tarot or people working with ancestors? Well, you know, John, uh, other than, you know, I hope you people get a copy of the book. If if they like it, I would love to know about it. Um, I am on Instagram frequently. And as you know, I do Instagram lives, both with you and your husband. And, uh, it's a great place to go hang out and talk to people of like mind. And I know that you're going to be doing some Instagram lives. I'm looking forward to, to attending those. So that's, uh, I know you have a list that's got 50 things on it, but. You know, I have editing. I can just edit that bit out, right? <laughs> no, you can't edit that out. No, 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 this has been great. It's like uh, sitting having coffee with you and, um, it's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate the invite. Well, I'm glad you could share this with me and also with folks who are listening to us and eventually all of our readers. And yeah, I will have links and notes into how to buy the book and how to get a connect with Nancy on Instagram and Facebook. And um, she's at Nancy Sage Shadow on Instagram. And the links will be in the notes section. And the book is available from, you know, I always encourage folks, try to get it from your local bookseller. We need to support our local bookshops as much as possible. They can order it from Wiser. Or if that's not possible, you don't have one nearby, then go ahead and go to your favorite online bookseller and go ahead and order it from them. Uh, All of that works. It'll be out in March of 2021, which is not very far away. And by the time this gets posted, it won't be very long after that. And Nancy, what other projects do you have coming up or Uh, other things that you do that you like to talk about? Ah, John, that was a horrible question to ask. Uh, Let's edit that out. (laughs) No, no. 
I want, I actually want to do a book that builds on ancestral tarot. I'm very interested in Wheel of the Year, not as it, not exclusively to Druidism, but as you said, kind of the seasons and how we honor ancestors through the seasons. And I've really been working a lot on, on how do I, how do I actually honor ancestors through the seasons? Does it change as the season changes? So I'm really having to do a lot of inside work before this book sees the light of day. But thank you for asking about it. Plus, you have your articles in the Cardomancer magazine and mm-hmm. uh, Instagram Live that you mentioned. Yeah, and the Cardomancer, if if your listeners don't subscribe, you know, there's paper and digital issues. The column I'm doing all through 2021 are on tarot decks that reflect pop culture. So it's a lot of fun decks. I'm having fun with that one. That it's going to be fun. And to our listeners, <laughs> I also do rune. I get to do rune articles. Yay. So that's really cool. It is really cool. So I'm very happy. I'm happy that you do them. Nancy, thanks for joining us. And thanks for sharing about Ancestral Tarot, your process, the cool tips and things. And there's so much more in the book with the exercises, the journaling, and uh, plenty of more things to come. So um, we really thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks, John. It's been great. This is Jan here with a post-production insert. We forgot to mention this during recording. So when you get your copy of Ancestral Tarot, share it on social media using the hashtag I got my ancestors. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Please leave positive comments on iTunes and other podcast distributors. This helps others to find the podcast. Please send feedback and ideas to giftsoftheweird at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Weird Gifts, Facebook at Gifts of the Weird, and on Instagram at Weird Gifts One. Check out the show notes for links. Thank you, and hail the gods.